local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily Welcome to the Local Environment Heroes podcast, a podcast that brings you a series of chats with some amazing local heroes from here in Canberra and from further afield who are doing ace things for our world. Podcast is produced and supported by the Canberra Environment Centre and your hosts are me, Fiona Vakenen, Director of the CEC and Julie Bolton, a sustainability strategist based here in Canberra. Local Environment Heroes. Hello, Fiona. Hey, Julie. So excited. We've all got big smiles on today because we just had a fantastic conversation with Kate Flood. Absolutely. I loved talking dirty with Kate. I love the fact that that is something she likes talking about too. I think, so it's all about compost. She is, how does she describe herself on Instagram? Probably the compost queen. The compost queen, correct. But on Instagram, she's known as compostable Kate. Look her up. She's amazing. And she is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to how to compost, how to do it, and why it's so important that it's this really achievable climate positive action that we can all partake in no matter where we live, whether we live in a huge property or in an apartment. It's something that we can all do. I mean, we all eat, right? We all create some food waste, even if it's minimal. And then she talks us through what to do with it. I think her special skill or her background which comes into it is the fact that she's a high school teacher Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I know from talking to her she has this very gifted way of communicating very not not that composting composting is necessarily complex but there is a lot of science behind it there's a lot of layering there's a lot of how to get it right and the mix but alchemy too there's magic in there there is magic (laughs) and I I just think her communication and her way of talking about it just it really it does entrance you actually if we're talking alchemy and magic like it totally does bring you in and go oh this is this is very exciting like makes you want to go outside and roll around in the dirt yeah yeah yeah. I'm also a little bit jealous of the fact that she mentions Costa and how Costa was at our house and she's good friends with Costa we all want to be good friends with Costa who wouldn't (laughs) what else what else is a gem in this episode oh well I I was just so excited to chat with someone who enjoys composting as much as me yeah (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's a story in there right where was it she was um she went to the school or local cafe and she was there late or something had happened and they'd already taken the compost. They'd already put the compost in the bins. So she actually went to the bins to get the compost out and take it home. She's no, dedicated. no scrap wasted. No, no scrap unturned. <laughs> no, it's an awesome episode and I'm quite excited that she's got a new book, which will be out yeah. in August, I yeah, believe. very soon, The Compost Coach. We're hoping so. that she comes to Canberra and does a bit of a book tour. Yeah, well, we'll support her no matter what. Yeah, definitely. So Compostable Kate, Kate Flood. I feel like we're going to listen with, um, we're finished with Dig In. <laughs> Kate, it is so great to have you on our podcast. We're absolutely thrilled to chat with you. And we were really keen to know from, from you, from the source, how you got started on composting what got you hooked 
Well, definitely my mum. So I call myself the compost queen, but actually she should have the credit of being the original compost queen. I grew up in the inner west of Sydney uh, and my parents were real hippies and still are. Um, And so I've always always had a a grown up with a compost bin. So when I lived at home, that was something that was just part and parcel of our day-to-day life and it felt completely normal. Um, Especially at the time in in the 80s in the inner west of Sydney, it it wasn't a normal thing. But she really was a key role model in getting me passionate about it. I think all kids inherently are interested in worms and uh, the magic of transformation, you know, seeing an apple turn into something so much bigger than its component parts and so much more interesting. So she really involved me in in all of that compost magic. And then when I moved out in my early 20s, I forced my roommates to compost and uh, we had pretty stinky situations at points. But I've always had a house with a compost bin, so it's just felt normal. And I think it's felt normal because because of that upbringing and I've got three kids myself and I want it to feel completely normal that that's what we do with uh, organic matter. We don't put it in the trash. Absolutely. And that's really interesting that it wasn't just normal, it was valued. Yes. (laughs) There's so many teaching moments with compost. And I think also just having it as a day-to-day routine you know, without being preachy about it to, to your kids or anyone else around you. It's something that can fit into uh, every situation. I've lived in teeny tiny houses. Before we moved to the far south coast of New South Wales, we lived in a two up, two down, tiny terrace in Birchgrove with basically no backyard. Like had you could step out and turn to the right and that was the, the extent of the space. Uh, but we still composted there. You know, we did small scale solutions, but we still were able to fit in enough composting kit for me to be a share waste host. So, you know, you can be creative with your space and you can absolutely make it, make it work and make it a day-to-day part of wherever you live. Do you think your kids are embracing composting the way you embrace composting with your mum? Woody, my middle child, is especially interested in it. Tully is pretty disinterested. He's seven. He's just like, oh, yeah, I have to empty the compost bucket. <laughs> like it's just a, a, an annoyance. But, you know, that's, I was like that as well. There was moments that I wasn't that interested in moments that I was um, when I was a kid. But, you know, the, just the, the routine of always having it as something that's normal, I think, is mm-hmm. it's so great for my kid. I've gone to their school and, and set up seven big, uh, really big, really bin composting farms and I can see that when I come into their school and teach the teachers about it and teach the kids they're really they're they they become the expert then they're like oh yes you know (laughs) Um, yeah but I think Woody's definitely most interested because he loves the physical nature of turning compost and he loves worms my youngest daughter um she is is interested in it a little bit but I wouldn't say as passionate but I reckon they all will be when yeah, they're bigger. Yeah, and they'll really see the value of it. I grew up composting also, and the compost was down the back of the yard. And you've just you've just made me remember these these horror moments where you'd come back inside with a compost bin, and then about and then 10, 15 minutes later, mum would always go, I can't find the vegetable peeler. Where's the vegetable peeler? Oh. <laughs> and then one of us three kids, we'd have to go down to the backyard 
and go through the compost bin in the dark. <laughs> Inevitably, it was down in the compost somewhere. Have you ever had a moment like that? Oh, yeah, totally. I've lost, I've, I usually wear lots of silver jewelry and I've lost a ring in my compost bin at one point and had to go fishing. But the great thing is, you know, my compost is lovely and aerobic and uh, really well functioning. So it wasn't a gross situation going, <laughs> going di- diving into my compost bin to get the ring back. Um, but, yeah, look, I, you know, I must admit my mum's compost back in the day, I've got such a vivid memory, you know, talking about our compost childhood <laughs> memories of my mum lifting off the bin and a family of mice, you know. Oh. Inner West rodents running out. Uh, So that's something that I think from looking at her mistakes and also when I first moved out, uh, my mistakes as a young adult um, composting, I think that's made me really passionate about educating people about what can go wrong and how to fix it. So I have a question for you about that as as the compost coach. Now we just, (laughs) this this podcast is going to be all about Fiona and I asking for composting tips. So mice and compost, you just said then, like, you know, you've got these memories of picking up and then mice running out. So it's a good compost would not have mice in it? Is that? Oh, look, not necessarily. Like, I think a good compost can be can be enticing for rodents, but putting in the precautions at the get-go is really important. So I love composting in open-to-the-ground compost bins. So they're enclosed on the outside, but they're open on the bottom and that allows all of the soil biology and composting critters access to your organic matter but also it allows rodents and where i live snakes to to get into your compost you have to make sure if you're open if you're composting in a situation like that to apply rodent proof mesh to the bottom so this is retrofitting something onto your compost bin that they don't come commercially like this Uh, it's a really worthwhile step to do Uh, and then it means, you know, you can have peace of mind because you're not going to have uh, a family of rats or mice living in your bin. But also it's interesting, rats and mice really hate having their environment disturbed. So that's when they'll set up nests and burrows in your compost bin if you're not turning it regularly. But if you are turning the organic matter regularly, that's a big help for making sure they're not going to form a nest in, in there. Um, you can also dig a hole in the soil if you've got access to soil in your yard and partially bury a compost bin, or you can make it in a fully enclosed tumbler. I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with tumblers, but but they certainly are pretty rodent-proof. Mm. thing which I'm really interested to hear from you about is the value of setting up your own compost bin being taught from the compost coach or wherever you get your tips from, doing it yourself compared to just putting those scraps in the local FOGO bin. So those food and organics bins that are available in some areas, why should people be interested in composting and at home compared to just putting it in the bin and getting it away? Look, because I think because there's no such thing as a way really is there, you know, and I, and even when there's the facilities for large-scale community composting through programs like FOGO, which absolutely need to be in place. We need to have uh, these large-scale systems happening, but unfortunately they are pretty energy inefficient. So we've got trucks powered with diesel that come and collect your food waste. Uh, We have big large-scale machines that turn these huge piles that are diesel or petroleum 
fueled as well. And then once the compost has been made, then people have to either drive to pick it up from the composting facility or it gets driven back into the community. So in terms of lowering the impact and the reliance on fossil fuels, home composting absolutely is the answer to that big problem. Uh, And I also think that if you have the space and even if you're short on time, just having carving out a little bit of space where you can do it yourself, it is profoundly satisfying turning scraps into soil. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be messy, it doesn't have to be smelly, and it really doesn't have to be time-consuming. So it's not something to be afraid of. But it is important that our government is pushing towards FOGO being rolled out because there's there's obviously going to be situations where doing that composting yourself is is not going to be feasible. Um, but I think the first frontier should be home composting and then the backup is FOGO. Tell us about some of these profound moments that you've had as you've been yeah. to the Yeah, we'd well, love to hear I, more. I just feel like it's the ultimate form of alchemy, you know. It scraps into black gold. I think that that childhood magic of seeing the transformation of waste into this amazing resource has really stayed with me. And that, that's definitely come from my mum. Uh, I also think it's it's once you once you start composting, it it is quite addictive. I'm definitely a compost addict. <laughs> I've and never you, heard. I've never heard of composting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, see the, you see the world in such a different way. Like it's I, I often talk about putting on my compost coloured glasses and, you know, it's autumn at the moment, so I'm seeing streets lined with uh, beautiful deciduous leaves. They're a fantastic source of carbon for your compost. Uh, when you go to cafes, there's lots of local cafes that are slowly starting to realise that their coffee grounds are actually a really great thing for the garden, so you might ask your local cafe for those. If you go to a greengrocer and... You see them peeling corn or potting peas and then that's going out in the trash. Then as a composter, you'll be hungry for scrap. You really see the world in, in such a different way. And I feel like that's a really um, a really interesting thing about composting. It makes you appreciate the fact that there's so much organic matter that isn't just food waste. You know, we, we often are banging on about food waste, which... We need to be we need to be talking about it, especially if it's hitting landfill, because we know the environmental catastrophe that happens when it goes to landfill, not in our compost or return to our soil in another method. Uh, but there's also so much other organic matter that's wasted. And as its gardeners, we want to be returning as much of that to the soil as possible. So even from a from a greedy perspective, just so we have beautiful sort to grow up veggies or plants in but then also from the bigger picture of climate action if we can return these nutrients to our soil and capture the carbon and store it in our soil as well that's hugely significant for battling climate change just in case people don't know can you just quickly talk us through what are the problems with putting food waste directly into landfill Landfill is like the antithesis to what happens in a compost bin. Food waste and organic matter gets broken down through microbial decomposition and it has to happen in an aerobics, that means like an oxygen-rich environment. And with those four universal ingredients, so we've got our food scraps and our green garden matter like grass clippings, Uh, that's our nitrogen with carbon, so the deciduous leaves, wood chips, shredded newspaper, cardboard, with oxygen and water, we can transform that organic matter into compost. In landfill, 
the conditions are anaerobic, which means oxygen-free. So in our kitchen, if we put our food waste into a plastic bag and then we seal it up and then it gets dumped with thousands and thousands of other plastic bags on top of that, we're pushing out all of the air. There's still microbial activity in landfill, but it's anaerobic microbes. And they're the baddies because they produce as a result of breaking down well, this food waste slowly mummifying. It doesn't really break down in landfill. Um, huge amounts of methane are released. And what I often think is so shocking, it's food is something that we consume and handle every day and it can either be a really detrimental thing for the environment if it ends up in landfill or it can be this amazing resource also, the, the problem with bagged scraps, people don't realise how slow the decomposition is in landfill. So there's a really amazing, um, I can't think of his name, but there's a, a landfill archaeologist almost, and he digs through old landfills and has found heads of lettuce that mm -hmm. are basically perfectly intact. They have sort of wilted and they are, he calls them mummified scraps, but he could see from other pieces of paper and receipts that they were up to 25 years old. No yeah. way. Yeah, that's right. Five-year-old um, lettuce. Yes, yeah, and eat half-eaten sandwiches that uh, some of them are even older than that. So that's the thing. It, it, that's amazing. Yeah. When you put a head of lettuce in a worm farm or a compost bin, it will be gone in a day almost. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really shocking how slow – the decomposition is and what also happens in landfill is there's really toxic lactate that oozes out of landfills as well so it's not only the methane that's been released into the atmosphere it's also these these hugely toxic chemicals that are released from you know which isn't a toxic thing uh, so yes landfill bad compost very very good <laughs> we have the power to actually impact these these issues we're able to do something about it at home. Yes. So, well, and, you know, but it is frustrating, isn't it? Because it's not, this is not new science, you know. Yeah. We've known for a really long time how bad having or any organic matter that is able to be decomposed. Sending that to landfill, you know, governments have known, especially in the developed world, for years and years and years and years and years. This is not nothing new and yet we still allow it. There is there is great moves in in places like Australia and California. They've got a compost law that's they've passed as well, uh, heading towards uh, community composting. But it's something that we as individuals can take into our own hands now. You know, we don't we don't need to be waiting on the government to do it for us. Well, how do, how do you start? Like how like is it expensive to start, or is it really simple to start? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Like anything, any hobby, <laughs> um, you can really go down the route of getting all of the kit and all of the equipment and then the men what are they called the mammals the men in lycra where they all of a sudden they get really excited about their bike gear and yeah. like you could go really extreme right or yes totally well, well, that's right. but, hole. <laughs> but compost microbes don't care what sort of kit they're being made in so free easy to make system, um, asking your local cafe for one of their large food grade plastic 
buckets and they often come you know with things like greek yogurt or mayonnaise or tahini i think they're about 20 liters and cafes always have them and they are always getting rid of them and they've got firm fitting lids and they're a really great bit of free compost kit that you can get and repurpose if you drill lots of holes all over them making sure when you're drilling them you will get little bits of plastic so doing it somewhere where that doesn't get spread back into the environment and then using that as an in-ground worm farm so for people living in an apartment you can put it in a large garden pot then add your carbon bedding materials a handful of worms from a friend's worm farm and then slowly start layering your food waste and your carbon and the worms will be able to travel in and out of all of those holes i think worm farming is a really great especially Mm -hmm. small scale worm farming like that where you can really see what's going on it's a good way to quickly upskill because it's something that you'll be checking in on because you've got these worm babies to look after and and worms you know you literally don't need to buy anything for that you know you can go especially at this time of year collect autumn leaves rip up some cardboard as bedding so Worms are, especially composting worms, they they love all organic matter. So that's a great system. Uh, You can also use those same buckets. If you get two of them and you drill holes just on one of the bottom sections of the bucket, that becomes like a false bottom that allows for drainage and you can make your own bakashi bucket. Um, Mm, And you love your bakashi, don't you? (laughs) I do love bakashi. I think bakashi is such a game changer, especially for people who are time poor and have lots of little dirt babies like me. (laughs) So I've got three kids and we have got chickens and worms and, you know, I've got it all because this is my job. But uh, equally I am very aware of the the pressure of not wanting to add more jobs to already totally overloaded schedule. And Bakashi really helps with it. Very different to backyard composting that you do in a bin or worm farming. It does involve anaerobic decomposition. So that's kind of like what happens in landfill, except in landfill there's a totally different spectrum of bad anaerobes, whereas in Bakashi there are specially selected strains that operate in oxygen-free conditions, Um, one of the primary ones being lactic acid. And the reason why I like it so much is you can fill up a compost caddy with bones, meat, dairy, citrus, uh, spicy food, oily food, all of the the scraps that people kind of think a compost knows. And I really am a no-rule composter because anything organic will break down. But Bakashi speeds up that decomposition because what happens in your Bakashi bucket, you need to get an inoculated medium. So this is something that commercially you do need to buy, but you can actually make it yourself as well. The commercial product is it's wheat bran that's inoculated with specially selected microbes and this group of microbes are referred to as effective microorganisms people call them em for short and you use a sprinkle of this wheat bran on the bottom of your bakashi bucket and then you empty your compost caddy full of scraps on top of that and then you do another sprinkle of the inoculated bran on top of that and you need to make sure that you're squishing down your waste so 
as opposed to aerating and turning your other normal composting, you're wanting to remove the air from Bakashi. And what happens in the Bakashi bucket, you'll, it can take several weeks to fill it, and it's kind of like making sauerkraut. So you can imagine if you chopped up a cabbage and put it into a crock without any salt, it's going to stink your house out, it's going to become slimy, and putrefied pretty quickly but if you add salt into it then it's going to ferment so in your bakashi bucket the em is kind of like the salt something that i like to emphasize with bakashi is you're not producing finished compost in the bakashi bucket so you're pre-digesting pre-composting this organic matter and then you do need to process it either in a compost bin by digging a hole in your soil and burying it directly in that or in a soil factory, which is great for apartment dwellers. Um, and I can give you the details about how to make that as well. Uh, but the reason why I like it is some organic matter like citrus can hang around in a compost bin for ages because the oils in the skin actually slow decomposition. But once you've fermented it in a bakashi bucket, it breaks down really quickly. So, yeah, Bakashi for me, it kind of feels like an extra step because you're yeah. processing it in this Bakashi bucket first, but it it takes away the angst of can I put this in or what's going to happen with this? You can chuck everything in. The anaerobic microbes are going to ferment it. So you fill up the bucket and you have to leave it closed for two weeks. Okay. And when you open up the Bakashi bucket, what you should see is a smattering of white beneficial mold that's developed on top if you see mold of any other color so blue or green or pink or brown then it means the process hasn't worked and oxygen has entered the mix and so then we have got um bad pathogens potentially developing but you know like that has occasionally happened to me where i haven't pushed the lid down firm enough um and then i just dig a hole and bury it in the garden but the fermented food waste honestly does not smell anything like a rotting chicken carcass or old dairy would smell. It smells pickled. It does have a distinct smell, so it's definitely not odorless. It once when it's sealed in the Bakashi bucket, though, it is you can keep the, your Bakashi bucket inside because when it's fully closed, it doesn't smell. When you open it, what you'll smell is a sour, pickled, fermented smell. Mm. Um, and sometimes you won't have the beneficial mould that's developed on top after two weeks, especially in winter because the microbial fermenting and decomposition does slow. But if you can smell that distinct sour smell, it's worked. And the food waste in your Bakashi bucket after that period doesn't really look that different either. But at a sorry microscopic level, it's really transformed. And when you add it into your compost bin or process it via those other methods, it breaks down really quickly. How many compost bins do you have? How many compost piles are on the go? Especially with three kids. Like I find I cook a lot and we cook a lot of whole foods and I've got three kids and we generate a lot of compost. So yes. How do you, like, do you need a lot of bins on the go to kind of rotate it through? Like maybe I need five Bakashi bins, not one. So we do, we have um, a number of Bakashi bins, especially because you can make them yourself 
for free. So I think we have six Bokashi bins on the go, uh, but that's because I also compost a lot of waste from my community. So I collect scraps from, from coffee shops um, and I collect horse poo from my neighbour. Like I'm always on the hunt for more organic matter. I need a cape or a T-shirt and it's like, here comes compost care. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I th- the other day actually I was – but I get great scraps from a local cafe and they leave them in bins down the side of their, their outside their building so I can just go and get them at any point. And I hadn't picked them up soon enough and so they ended up in the Fogo bin and then I was like, oh, I just I wanted to make a hot compost pile so I needed to have more organic matter. So I did then dive into their bin and, and scrape it all back out of their green waste bin to, to take home so you know it's maybe not the most glamorous profession but it's definitely satisfying these like really precious resources totally yeah that's yeah. right and look you know we they would have been turned into compost at the fogo facility here um in marimbula on the south coast but you know i, I want it for myself <laughs> so it sounds like um, the process of composting is also really connecting you in with your community as well. Yes, definitely. And it always has actually. So um, when I lived in the inner West, I was a, a share waste, which is a free global app um, that connects people with compost bins to local communities. So I was a share waste host um, and that means that people that don't have the capacity to compost themselves can sign up on the app and then find people, compost hosts in their local community and then they become a compost donor. So that was a really nice way and I've still got lots of friends from that, from meeting them locally and taking yeah. their scraps. Yeah. Um, and I do that too. <laughs> it's so nice, you know, and it's, it's also so nice because your compost donors are so appreciative of, of you taking their waste uh, and people would then, like, bake us bread as a thank you and, you know, like it's just, and I was like, no, I should be baking you bread because I'm so grateful to have more organic matter. <laughs> and I think being, being brave and doing things that maybe are not the norm but I think definitely will be the norm one day but going talking to cafes for their coffee grounds and going out onto your street raking leaves you know I I would often do that um, in Birch Grove and because there was lots of deciduous trees near where we lived and people (laughs) would would often be like what are you doing and then that that allows you to have a chat and you're afraid about the the importance of balancing your food waste with carbon and the fact that that all of this organic matter is so precious because um, where I lived in Sydney, we were, so we were renting, it was pretty affluent and the council was so efficient at coming and blowing away all the leaves and collecting them and taking them. Uh, you know, they, there wasn't FOCO at that point, so they would have been going to landfill. So I would always madly go out and try and collect as many as I could beforehand. But these are really important conversations to have with Absolutely. your Absolutely. In a way that's not threatening as well, you know. Yes, yes. And also just keeping the leaves out of the drains as well. I was working from home in my lunch break. I went up the road, started raking, and someone stuck their head out. What are you doing? (laughs) There was a really good sign on the bus the other day that I saw. Rake rake for the lake, I think it is. The concept, right, is rake up the leaves so they don't end up in the lake here. Yes, and that's it. Leaves in Canberra are a big issue because 
that they end up in waterways, especially the lake, they cause algal blooms. I go go to Canberra in autumn and I, like, get conniptions because I'm like, I want to bring it all home, you know. Um, but there's so many deciduous trees and so that are introduced and that's they are then a real issue for waterways. So home yeah. gardeners getting out on the street and collecting them. And I know that um, Capital Scraps, in, in Canberra, yeah. they're always like, bring us your food waste and your leaves. You know, yeah, they that's right. Well, because yeah. when you start composting, you realise that you, know, you have to use those four universal ingredients, carbon being um, the one that we're talking about now. So brown autumn deciduous leaves are super important for balancing your juicy nitrogen-rich scraps. And leaves can last as well. You, I collect enough leaves to last me for the year. And the lovely thing about making piles of leaves is they also will slowly start breaking down throughout the year and you can make a beautiful form of compost that isn't high in um, nutrients but mm-hmm. is is like silky and earthy and gorgeous and great for making potting mixes. There's amazing uses for leaf mould. So if you just allow leaves to slowly decompose, so even if you're just doing that, if you feel like you don't have the facility to make compost with food waste and carbon you could just collect leaves and allow them to compost down and then you can have a go of making your own potting mix using that as beautiful mulch on your soil oh i love all these composting options (laughs) kate we're really interested in your rise to social media fame (laughs) and how social media has been a vehicle for your composting messages (laughs) look it's been surprising for me because prior to being the self-appointed compost coach I was a high school teacher and I think that's a big thing that led me towards doing this but equally was it's a surprising uh, path to go down being a high school teacher because I was really involved in the pastoral care of year seven uh, and I found so many of the bullying issues that I had to deal with were because of Instagram. The fact that kids have this app on their phone and then bullying can happen and it can happen 24 hours a day. You know, and I often say, just don't check it. And then I bet we, we want to check and see what's going on. And I never had Instagram as a teacher and really was so against it um, because I just felt like it was such a negative thing. Mm. And I still think that there are obviously those issues uh, that still occur with, with social media, but I decided to sign up to it and use it just as a way to spread my composting message but I was really hesitant when I first signed up first of all because I had no idea how to use it so I signed up to Instagram about two years ago and I started making videos about our shared street garden in the inner west and compost and my girlfriends would say you have to show your face I was like I don't have to show my face like what's my face got to do with composting, you know? And and then I, I started understanding the genre of it and and realising that people do connect with people. And so I had to teach myself. How, like, like I've never been of the selfie genre. I'd never filmed myself. I don't really like having my photo taken. Like it was – anyway, it, so this all happened during COVID and I think everyone took strange side steps during COVID. Yeah. And I wanted to find ways that I could still uh, – feel like I was doing something for the planet while we're all stuck at home. And and so that's, yeah, where where a lot of my motivation came from. But also it also came from the high school setting. So mm. being a food tech teacher and 
feeling like I was teaching these kids really great life skills um, with cooking and nutrition, but then having mountains of scraps. Yeah. And I was like, compost is a life skill that everyone needs to know. And I had the privilege of having a family that did compost, uh, but so many people don't. And I would take home heaps of the kids' scraps, but I taught at a large school in the inner west and you know, I couldn't take everything. Um, and I just thought it's crazy that we've got this curriculum that values one form of education but not the holistic approach. Um. So that was that was a big impetus for me. And, and then I think I just landed on social media as a, a platform for uh, raising awareness about this, but also in a fun kind of engaging way. <laughs> I, I love the fun, engaging way. I remember the first time I saw your page and I was like, who is this lady who cares about composting as much as me? And I love the way you communicate it in a way that's not disgusting or too scientific. It's just magic and connected to the people around you, like your community and the trees with the leaves and the food scraps and the cafes. It just brings it all together and it makes sense. Yeah. And look, it, I, I think it's, it's, I'm just, you know, I, I am so passionate about it because I feel like people that, that feel like they can't make an impact for the planet. Compost is something that that we can all do. Um, and, you know, even if you can't do it yourself, signing up to share waste or, yeah, yeah. or contributing your food waste to a commu- local community garden. And I wanted to show my passion and fun for, for you know, my obsession about it. And, I, yeah, it sort of created this own life force and that's where I got offered my book deal because of my Instagram, which I thought was so we were, we weird. That's surprising. Talk about the book. <laughs> so my book, actually, I'll show you. Oh, I know yeah. Podcasts are not visual media. Right so my book is really, it's, it's kind of like a little taste of what I do online, but I was totally liberated. I always write long captions on Instagram and I get so frustrated where there's a word limit. You know, you'd have to edit things down. So when Murdoch Books approached me about writing a compost book I was totally thrilled and I think they were expecting me to write a book that was maybe about 40,000 words and I gave them 90,000 words (laughs) which then was edited down to 70,000 words but it's the book itself it covers a lot of ground uh, but the way I've written it is the way that I teach online and the way that I do workshops for councils and community gardens I break down all of the important steps in a really accessible way and give people options and troubleshoot uh, and and really sort of hold the reader's hand throughout the whole process. So I go through all of the composting methods and there's, there's quite a big chapter on Bokashi and worm farming. But then the final chapter is something that I'm really excited about because it goes into other regenerative practices that you can do with the organic matter that's around us so that you don't have to rely on going to your local hardware shop or landscape shop and buying fertilisers that are full of petrochemical. You can make your own soil conditioners with scraps that you'd otherwise throw in the bin. The book out. It's coming out on the 1st of August in Australia and New Zealand and then later in the month in the UK and the States. Uh, it's a really beautiful book as well. The, the magic of compost was something that I wanted to really express and and I, I've worked with a local photographer who now is one of my really good friends, Honey Atkinson, and she 
equally is obsessed with compost and got got what I wanted to capture because I open up my compost bin and I can see the beauty in it and I'm so excited about all of it. But so many people don't feel like that about compost, which I get. Um, but I wanted to be able to capture that magic and, and the book itself really, really has. Uh, I was also re- lucky enough to talk to four other composters. So um, there's some feature interviews within the book. So I talked to Costa and Hannah Maloney, uh, who Australians would know. And then there's this interesting no-dig gardener in the UK, Charles Downing, and he's got some really large-scale composting that he does. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I talked to a UK urban gardener, Alessandro, who calls himself Spicy Moustache online. (laughs) And he lives in London, small backyard, but he does some really interesting composting and, and food growing in a small space. So... Yeah, it is a really good book. I was thrilled to to do it, and I'm That's amazing. out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this leads perfectly into our hero questions. Yeah, first question good. I feel we could adapt a little bit. Usually, it's congratulations. He's just been elected the president of the world. What's the one thing <laughs> it first? Put a little twist on it. So you've just been elected like the queen of compost. <laughs> the world's queen of compost. What's the one change you try to implement first? Look, I think valuing the organic matter that we all have. Uh, and if I was the queen, I would enforce it. It would be something that we all would have to do. And using systems that that are really energy efficient. So not putting things in landfill, obviously. But even small scale things, like when people mow their lawns, like just leaving the grass clippings on their lawns uh, and looking at a holistic approach to waste management that captures as much of these nutrients and returns them to the soil. Uh, And I think if I was the the compost queen of the world, a big part of that would be education because people, people know that putting food waste in landfill is kind of bad. But a lot of people don't really realise the impact that it has, but also uh, the impact that so much of our other waste has as well, Mm. like recycling. Recycling is kind of a big form of greenwashing. It makes us feel better about using single-use packaging, but being able to compost and return the the carbon, so paper and cardboard, into our soil uh, is really important. So I think if I was the compost queen of the world, education would be a big thing. Uh, So teaching kids in schools why we need to do this and having lots of programs for adults and teenagers and explaining all of this and giving them the skills and empowering them to to do it themselves. Sounds amazing. I mean, (laughs) uh, Kate, it's 2030. Describe the world that you see around you. I think in 2030 here in Australia, at least, FOGO will be rolled out to all councils. I think that's the, the date. At the latest, it has to happen. So I would like to see food waste and organic garden waste being composted globally uh, by that time, so not just in Australia. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future, but I'm also, I think, as we all are, are, deeply worried about the future as well. But for me, I really think that individual actions, when done collectively, are hugely powerful. Uh, so I'm hopeful that with education and excitement about things like compost, we can, we can really make a big impact yeah, awesome. Who are your environmental heroes? I I think anyone that advocates 
for change in their local community. So uh, the everyday Joe Blow that sees an issue and does something about it. Ellie and Tom from Share Waste, I adore them, and they're a really great example of people who could see a problem with food waste and, and did something about it, designing this free global app. So I think I think people that are doers and even if you're just doing something in your backyard out there, that's, that's people who I consider are, are my environmental heroes. Kate, do you have a hot tip for being more environmentally friendly or aware? I feel like this whole episode has been about that. <laughs> I do, but I also think I'm talking about composting food waste, but what we all actually should be doing is eating our food. So, you know, compost is really important, but first and foremost, we need to be eating the food that we buy. Uh, So I think food storage is is an important thing. So knowing how to keep food fresh, Mm -hmm. uh, not overbuying. Uh, using your freezer if you're not going to finish something soon enough, um, making scrap soup at the end of the week. So if you've got bits and pieces left over, uh, don't waste them. Actually cook them up and eat as much of it as you possibly can. And then the small bits and pieces are fine to then add into the compost because all of the energy that is used to grow the food and all of the water that's used as well and the food is transported from the farm, it's processed, it's packaged, it's brought to the supermarket, we then drive our car and pick it up and bring it home. All of that energy is lost if we don't eat it. So eat the food you buy would be my number one tip for being more environmental at home. So is that the same as your final slogan or mantra that you live by and that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I reckon a mantra that I like to live by is it's not waste until it's wasted. Oh. <laughs> oh, I actually have one final question that I'm adding on. Have you yeah, ever been compared to Dirt Girl? You're <laughs> <laughs> Dirt Girl. I love that oh. show. And just yeah, the whole time you have talking, I have just been going, oh my goodness, I am sitting here talking to Dirt Girl. This is great. <laughs> I, I haven't, but I think that I would tell my kids that that you may think that because they really they really loved it. Costa came and visited me at one point and we were talking about, like, this was before I started writing my book and I was getting some advice from him and when he turned up at our place, my kids said, it's the garden gnome, the garden gnome from Dirt Girl World. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So amazing. Kate, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been my a pleasure. Treat. Thank you. It's, it's always a, an absolute pleasure having the chance to, yes. to talk dirty with people. So thank you. Wash about compost. Love it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, guys. Local environment heroes Saving the trees and the bees And doing it daily Local Environment Heroes is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, the traditional custodians of the Canberra area. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging, and we recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and communities. Subscribe to the Local Environment Heroes podcast wherever you find your podcasts and keep in touch.